Jackie O. Asari is a veteran music and media industry professional whose career began in the early 90s and continues to present day. Just some of her accomplishments include holding the position of publicity coordinator for Sony Music and director of media relations for iconic hip-hop labels including Priority Records and Loud Records. As well, she's the founder of Jackie O. & Co., a public relations firm based in Atlanta. Over her illustrious career, she's worked with many music legends, including Destiny's Child, Big Pun, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, Cormega, Mariah Carey, Wyclef, The Fugees, Lauren Hill, Will Smith, Alicia Keys, Exhibit, Prodigy, Three Six Mafia, Little John, Guru, and Lecrae, just to name some. Additionally, she's worked projects for major brands in film, television, technology, and much more. In this interview, Jackie shares immense insight from her amazing career, and we delve into many tips for artists and others seeking media coverage. It's my pleasure to introduce the Jackie O. Asari interview. Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. We are here with the amazing Jackie O. Asari, who is a music and entertainment industry vet, a media entrepreneur, and an all-around awesome person. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jackie. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you for even um, extending this opportunity. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I've been wanting to speak to you for the podcast for a while and I don't want to date either one of us, but needless to say, we've both been in the industry for a while. And I believe we've been in each other's orbits, correct me if I'm wrong, since the maybe earlier parts of the 90s? The golden age, of yeah, course, when, yeah. uh, when the best music was put out. You got that right. Yes, the early 90s, exactly. Superstars, mm -hmm. superstars were, were born during that time. Right. So around that time was I was working Naughty by Nature and Prodigy and Mob Deep and Project Pad and Guru and Big Pun and, you know, just so many different artists um, that came out, um, made their debut in the early 90s who are some of us still around. Yeah. And icons. I mean, even for the ones, you know, obviously, rest in peace, Guru. But even for the ones in Prodigy, the ones that are no longer around, they have a legacy that will literally be part of music history for an eternity. Absolutely. And absolutely. And then recently I've worked with some um, other legends, uh, Maya. Mm -hmm. um, last year I worked on a campaign with Maya. I just worked recently, very recently with Mr. Freddie Jackson uh, nice. with 112. Teddy Pendergrass. So um, my my list of clientele is it really ranges from hip hop to R and B to reggae. I've even worked with Bougie Bantan and TOK. And um, sometimes as publicists, we move outside of music. A true publicist can publicize anything once they understand the story 
what is in the package? What are we selling? What are we uh, sharing with the consumer? Indeed. Um, I've worked nonprofit organizations, 100 Black Men in Atlanta. I've worked books. I've worked film. Um, the true formula of publicity is understanding the story, mm-hmm. keeping great relationships, mm-hmm. um, but not only understanding the story, but knowing, uh, 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 knowing how to tell the story, knowing how to retell the story, knowing how to pull different tools together, knowing how to be strategic. Um, nowadays, people think publicity is just post on social media, but there's a little strategy, you That's know, right. that happens also with being a publicist. How do you, you know, what comes first? What, you know, how do you promote the single first? How do you, how do you give um, um, life to the different songs by attaching them maybe to something that maybe has happened in the artist's life, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a lot more strategic than, you know, just, Thing for you know getting people into parties, which is what people most people think that publicists do. We stand with a clipboard outside a club, <laughs> you know, and that's just a part of it. Right. Those people are carefully curated, carefully selected, and what do we do? Is after the party, we're contacted that's two right. three days later. That's you know, right. that's right. Um, you have all the assets that you need. Um, can I send you photos with captions? You know, um, we are basically giving you the content. So publicity has moved from just pitching and publicizing to actually being content creators. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we are creating the content and the pass it on to the media. A lot of times that stuff is just copy pasted exactly how we send it. Mm-hmm. Because even the writing has changed. It used to be that we had long articles of you know, edit, you know, with so much editorial, and now people are just copy and paste them. That's right. So now, as a publicist, you also have to understand how to strategize that content, what content people need, what's the story, and um, put together the pieces so that that writer or that editor can, you know, take the different pieces that you've assembled and turn it into something. That's right. I would love to kind of go back to to the beginning of your career and learn a little bit about some of your earliest lessons in the industry working for, was it Columbia, one of your first positions? I worked for Columbia. I worked for Loud Records Mm -hmm. and I worked for Priority Records. Mm -hmm. Um, Columbia was where I started, where I learned. Um, And I was assistant to a very amazing publicist who I actually still work with now. Her name is Yvette Noel Shore. Mm -hmm. And she is a publicist for Beyonce. That's mm-hmm. who I learned from. Right. Um, when I came in the industry at Columbia Records, it was when we say the golden era. Mm-hmm. It was the golden era. Right. This was when the Fugees came out. This is when Destiny's Child was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when Wyclef put out um, the Carnival. This is when Beyond Forest put out uh, Ferris put out the um, Love Jones soundtrack. Um, so so death was. Uh, introducing Bow Wow and mm-hmm. Escape and, you know, mm-hmm. um, Kenny Lattimore was there. Maxwell was being produced. Mariah Carey was um, one of the artists that was working. My first project that I worked by myself was Lord, Peter, Lord Tariq and Peter Gunn's Uptown Baby. Mm-hmm. And, you I, know... I used to play that on the radio. Peter Gunn said, yeah, you did. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Gunn said something to me one time. There was a show in BT called Teen Summit. Do you mm-hmm. remember it? I remember it. As a matter of fact, uh, once upon a time, we had audience members wearing the Insomniac Magazine t-shirt. Yes. So um, I remember, um, this is something that stayed with me. Peter Gunn, we were sitting in the conference room, the mm-hmm. green room, mm-hmm. 
at BET waiting to do Teen Summit. And he looked down and he was so melancholy. He looked just concerned. And he said, you know, Jackie, this is all we have. Wow. You know, um, this is it. Music, this is it. It's music of the streets. Wow. So what you do with us, know that it is affecting our lives. Mm. And when he said that to me, it, it, it hit me in such a deep place that what I do on a daily basis is affecting somebody's ability mm-hmm. to take care of their family or affecting someone's decision to make that, that run up north, you know? Mm-hmm. And I never, I never looked at it that way before, you know, the, the sense of responsibility. Um, I never looked at it that way because we were just assigned projects. You work the project, you know? Right. But when he said that to me, I was like, okay, so this is more than just project. This is, this is deeper, you know? And people's lives are impacted by what we do. And that's, that was really something that stayed with me. And I think more than anything, when I became an ind- independent publicist, that I could actually make the kind of decisions I needed to make for my clients for myself. That's when what he said really resonated. Like, I'm really responsible for these projects right. and for these people. Yeah. And that's a that's a great takeaway, especially from an industry. I mean, speaking more so about the labels that would and it still happens that would churn those artists out. And as soon as, you know, they make a little bit of name for themselves and they fall off that, you know, that that spectrum of visibility, they move on to the next thing, even before they actually fall off. Right. So, yeah, there's something to be said about, you know, really taking taking in the impact that you have on somebody's life and somebody's livelihood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 And when you meet their families and kids and stuff like that, you realize, you know, this is, this is a person. And, um, you know, when he, when he said that it was the first time that I really, I just sat with it for a while, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, he was, very pensive when he said it and it was like jackie this has to work this has to work and here we are all these years later clearly he's evolved and he's kind of expanded but he's still you know on in the industry and he still is is known to say you know what i got to take care of my family how can i bring the whole family together okay there's this reality so situation how can i use that you know to pivot to the next thing you know and how can i use that to help my wife's career and, you know, my girlfriend's career <laughs> in right. the case of Peter Guns, But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he had those very serious conversations with his family right. about what this reality show could do for them. So it is more than business, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it is more than business. Some people choose to see it as just business and some people don't. I have always had really good relationships with my clients, right. you know. I remember when um, Cormega was having his child, he called me and he was like, Jay, I'm having a baby baby shower. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and there I was riding with Cormega to the baby <laughs> shower. We had a really great conversation about fatherhood and, you know, responsibility and was he ready and was he not? And, you know, and and, and what he what he imagined, the kind of father he imagined he would be. I've been blessed to have those kind of relationships with many of my clients, you know, so. That's phenomenal. But also, I'm not an industry person. Is I hear you. I know what you mean by that. I'm not, I'm not an industry mentality mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I try to relate to people in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not somebody that 
runs around based upon my title or, you know, right. who, who I've represented or, you know, I'm a mom, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a daughter, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and those things take precedent in my life. So I'm not one or I'm not, you know, I don't get my self-esteem right. <laughs> from, you know, the industry. I could care less about that. Indeed. And, and that's that's important. And I think in, in many ways that also provides an opportunity, not only for the balance, but I think in many ways that balance keeps people in the industry because this industry, as a lot of us know, can burn you out. It can. It can. And, and it burned me out, you know. Um, cause sometimes you care too much, you know, um, it burned me out. I think that the thing that, that kept me grounded is when I became a mother, mm. you know, um, when I came, when I became a mother, it, it, it shifted my mentality into, you know, in, in a completely different, different direction, you know, like now I'm responsible for someone, mm. you know, yeah. um, it, it has shifted my business in certain ways. I can't be out there just going to every single thing, you know, right. Because it's babysitters and, you know, um, and, and a lot of things that you have to consider when you become a parent, you right. know what I mean? Especially not just being a parent, but a parent being a woman who is a parent, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so a lot of the men in the industry, they have their wives. They work from, you know, their wives stay at home, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they can travel around here and there and do this and that and be at the studio at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't do that, mm-hmm. you know? I take up my daughter from school every day. Right. At three o'clock. And I might work till three or four o'clock in the morning, but I prioritize her. I have to, you know, I don't want her to grow up ever thinking that, you know, well, my mother was just not never around, you know, and in this industry, it's very easy to have that be the case. Indeed. No question about that. And one thing I think that is certainly notable is that you were able to transition from, as you mentioned, working with these in many ways, iconic labels, Columbia, Sony, Priority, Loud, to then starting your own agency. What was your motivation and what was that like when you first went on your own and, and kind of became your own boss, which obviously comes with a lot of other responsibilities? You know, it's so interesting. That was very spiritual for me, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in LA when, uh, working on a cover for a hip hop publication. Mm-hmm. When I got a call from one of my colleagues, um, saying, Hey Jackie, did you see the New York daily news? I'm like, I'm, I'm in New York. <laughs> I'm in LA. I'm in LA. And he's like, well, you know that, um, the last record label I worked at was called Lau Records. And he said, well, you know that Lau got sold to Sony, you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> And um, he said, but we all got laid off. Um, <clears throat> I had just bought my condo in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Wow. Um, I just closed on it a, a month before, you know. And here he is stating that, um, you know, we were all laid off, you know, that they were going to be closing doors and closing shop. And, wow. um, you know, the interesting thing is when you travel and you travel for business, especially if you're in the industry, you're in and out of cities. You don't get to see the places, you know, mm-hmm. you are on the strict itinerary, you're doing radio, you're doing whatever. No record label says, oh, hey, Jackie, why don't you stay, stay in L.A. for a day or two and just hang out and see the city. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I never had the opportunity to. I was always in and out of cities. Um, on and off plane. So that day when I got that call that um, the record label um, was closing, I said to the writer who was with me, let's say it was you, Is I was like, Is mm-hmm. just take me somewhere. 
Wow. Let's just go. You know, just take me somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. And he took me, this writer took me to this, I guess it was the highest altitude in L.A. Mm. And I sat there looking out at the whole city. And at first I was scared. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I don't even have an updated resume, you know? Right. There was a peace and a calm that came over me. I don't know where it came from. Something that said that I was all right. I was going to be okay. Here's my story of going into being independent. When I worked at the labels, I was doing some things that I didn't quite understand. Hmm. Um, I was buying computer equipment. I was buying a printer, um, laptop. I had a home office that was sitting in unopened boxes in my house. Hmm. That's where I was putting my money. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize at that time that this equipment was going to become the equipment I was going to use for my business. You understand? Right. I just kept buying those things. Mm. Oh, Sam Ash is selling this. Let me go buy it. You know, and everything was in my house and I bought it really because I used to work some long hours at the label. And I figured that if I created a home office, I could go home and work. Mm. The unfortunate thing is that once I get started working, sometimes I don't stop. Mm Mm-hmm. I would end up being at the label at 11 o'clock. But this leads into my story of how I started my company. So I got laid off. Didn't know what I was going to do. People were calling me. AOJ. <laughs> mm. I heard about what happened. What are you going to do? Do you want me to call Def Jam? You know, do you want me to call here? Do you want me, you know, what, right. what, what are we doing? What's our next step? And I was like, I just want to, I just want to sit for a minute. I just want to just, sit for a minute because one thing that happened to me in that in that moment was I didn't want to put my life in anybody's hands anymore Mm. I didn't want to go work in another label for someone to decide well we're going to you know um, consolidate and sell and here I am stuck you know so how can I take my skill set my contacts my relationships the people that I had you know who I talked to on a daily and do this for myself independently And do it in a, in a way in which I can select the types of projects I want to work. You know, mm-hmm. you can't do that at the label. Right. When they come in and they tell you that this is the next project, this is the next priority, that's what you're working. Mm-hmm. You know, and you may not even like the record. That's right. But that's what you're working. So um, when I got laid off, I came home and I just said I was on show for a couple of days. And people were, people were calling me off the hook, like, you know. Hey, you want me to call this? I mean, writers even, mm. you know, calling. Do you want me to call this person and see if they're hiring? Like, you know, you're dope, and I really enjoy working with you. I'm not sure for bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And I called an independent publicist. Rest in peace. Um, her name is Patty Webster. Mm. And no, Patty called me, and she said, "Hey, what's going on with you? You know, what are you going to do?" I have no idea. I have no idea. And she said, "Uh." Do you think you want to go to another label? Or I was like, nope, I don't. I don't. Because I was kicking ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and here I was unemployed. Right. Um, so I said, no, I don't. You know, and she said, well, um, you think you may want to go indie for a while? And I said, yeah, probably. I think I might want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And just as I was talking to her, and this is why I say it's spiritual. Just as I was talking to her, there was a label called TVT who was calling mm-hmm. her. And they called her to work an artist by the name of Little John. Right. And 
There's a phrase in the Bible that, that says the stone who the stone the builder refused will always be the headquarters stone. It's also in the Bob Marley song. Mm. When I worked at the labels, I never wanted to work Southern hip hop when I first when it first came out. Right. Because I was a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> we need lyrics and verses. Right. You know? <laughs> not not the gibberish that, right. you know. So I became the Southern hip hop expert because I was forced to. Mm. The label said, you're going to be working 3-6 Mafia and Project Pat and these projects. And I was like, oh, chicken head, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, because I'm more of a Nas person or I'm more of a Cormega person, you know? And they said, you have to go down to Memphis and, you know, get to know this music, get to know the scene, whatever. And I did. And I was, I was amazed. I had no idea of what was going on in the South. Wow. Until I went to the South. Well, this played into the formation of my company. Mm. Because here I am talking to Patty Webster, and she says, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm going to sh- chill for a minute, <laughs> you know? Right. And she tells me to hold on. She comes back, and she says, well, there's this label called TVT, and they're looking for somebody to work, um, an artist in Atlanta by the name of Lil John. Hmm. Lil John and the East Side Boys. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to do it. Now, Patty was also an ordained minister besides being a publicist. Mm. So she's like, I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, do you think that you can do it? And all of a sudden, the stone that the builder refused mm. became my headquarters stone. Wow. Because I, didn't, I, I, was, I had all the experience in the world working the Southern hip hop. Mm. Being at Loud Records and working Three Six Mafia and mm-hmm. Project Pat and Yankee Boo and all those things that I did not want to work. Right. Those things became relevant now with uh, Little John Project, where it was just like, oh my God, she knows Southern hip hop. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, from working those projects, projects that I complained about. Right. Um, I'm not complaining about the artists, but I just, yeah. what it was, was I, my ear had not become attuned to right. what people hear now as Southern hip hop, mm-hmm. you know? And so in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. BT was not playing none of the stuff, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it just was only happening in the South and I didn't see it because I didn't live in the South, you know? Right. Um, so this is what happened. And I ended up working Little John as my first um, independent client. And then I ended up working Naughty by Nature, you know, mm-hmm. and it just continued from there, you know. So I say spiritual in the sense that God was setting me up for something that I didn't know. Right. You know, because after I got off the phone with Patty, I realized that I had all the tools, everything that I needed to start my business mm-hmm. at a time when I didn't even realize what I was doing. Right. You know, all I needed was a company name and a federal tax ID number. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I had a laptop. <laughs> mm, that's right. I had a printer. At that time, I had a fax machine. I had everything that I needed to get started, you know? And, and so sometimes when, 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 when we are given some sort of visceral kind of wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. just follow it. Sometimes you may not understand the gift that is being given to you or what you're being prepared for, you know? Right. But it's preparing you without you realizing it. And sometimes also the things that you, you don't want to do mm-hmm. become the thing that, you know, um, pivots your business. Mm-hmm. So if I had not worked those Southern projects at um, Loud Records when I was there, 
TVT may have thought me unqualified. Right. Mm-hmm. But once I got on the phone and they said, well, we're looking for someone who specifically knows what's going on in the South because we have this artist on the genre that we're going to be working. And I said, oh, well, I just came from back from Memphis last week. I'm working, I was working Three Six Mafia. I was working Gangsta Boo. I was working The Alcoholics. So, you know, just, I had the West Coast. I had the South. I had the New York. You know what I mean? Right. So it was easy for them to say, you know what? We're going to go ahead and hire you for the job. And that launched my company. Can I answer your question? Oh, yes, definitely. And what, what would you say was the biggest learning curve as a business owner running your own agency? Um. I learned that relationships are important. Mm -hmm. It's not the label that you work with, but the relationships that you cultivate outside Mm -hmm. of those labels. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I've been Jackie from Columbia Records, Jackie from Loud Records, Jackie from, you know, whatever. And here I was at TVT now, and every time I tell the story, I start to get teary because when I have to um, plan the first Little John and the East Side Boys um, listening session, you know, we do the whole thing in the conference room with the food and the drinks mm-hmm. and we invite journalists to come out and hear the record. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if anybody was going to come. Mm. I seriously did not. You know, because I wasn't attached to anything now. Right. You know, and sometimes you get people to come out because of who you're attached to. Mm. You know, oh, this is a Columbia Records thing or it's an Atlantic Records thing, you know. So, yeah, we're going to come out because it's Atlantic. But here I was working with TBT and working an artist at that time that nobody knew was Little John. And I didn't know who was going to come out, Mm. you know. So I was calling my media friends and calling people. And it really makes a difference when that artist walks into the room and they see people there, you know? Of course. It makes a difference when the label looks and they go, oh, she's got the right people in the room. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if I was going to have the right people in the room. Right. I didn't. I had no way of knowing. You know, I've, I've always had great relationships with people, but... Um, I didn't know. I didn't know if they were truly going to come. And I was so embarrassed because I stood in front of everyone that I walked into the room and the room was packed. <laughs> like everybody was there. Wow. And I started crying <laughs> <laughs> in front of everybody. And I was like, I am overwhelmed right now just seeing, you know, right. all of you because you have given me the confirmation that it's not really about the label. It's about the relationship I have with you or you calling me or even you after we've known each other for 20 years Mm -hmm, or, you know, mm -hmm. even more saying, you know, this is an important voice of somebody that I want to talk to, you know, this is important, you know, she might have value to bring to the game. So those kinds of things just kind of let you know, even when you don't speak to people every day Mm -hmm. that you are respected, you know, or valued. So I really had no idea who was going to show up. But I also knew it was critical that people showed up, you know, because if people don't show up, then it's like, oh, she didn't have anybody, you know, there. I mean, everybody was there. And I'm standing in the room crying, (laughs) saying, you know, thank you guys so much for coming. I'm overwhelmed. I'm here. It's just me. It's just Jackie. I didn't have any expectations of doing this. And my heart is just so filled. Wow. Being that, you know, you're here and thank you. And let's play the record. And this is little John and me, side boy. <laughs> and, um, and it was at a time when they didn't even know who little John and these right. side boys was. Yeah. 
You know, it was at a time when BET would not play their video. When me and John went up to BET and he sat in the audience mm. on BET because they would not play the video. Wow. And he was just so animated and crazy and having mm-hmm. fun. And, you know, that they were like, okay, who is this dude? <laughs> you know what I mean? But this was a time when, it, you know, so to just walk in the room and see everybody there, you know, everybody was there. I was mm. just like... I, I and then I went in the hallway and I cried some more. You know, wow. um, and little was like, "What's wrong with her?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that that was a moment for me when I realized it was real and um, that I could be successful. Right. You know, with what I do, and then after that, artists that I rep- represented at the label mm-hmm. were then going to the label and saying, "We want her to be." our independent publicist. We still want to work with her, you know? Mm-hmm. So all of those things made a difference. Indeed. And what would you say? I know you've worked with so many other companies and brands outside of music. So clearly uh, everything from Disney to Walmart, uh, events, Essence Festival, ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, what, mm-hmm. what would you say are some of the differences in working with some of the major brands uh, that you've represented and working with individual artists or talent? Well, when you're working with individual artists and talent, you're dealing with emotion. Mm. Um, you're dealing with their sense of value attached to their music. Everything is personal. You know, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with corporations, it's all about bottom line. Right. You know, this is what we need to see. These are the results we're looking for. We don't, you know, we're not in, involved in the particulars mm-hmm. of, you know, the emotions, you know. Right. Um, but when you're dealing with artists, you're dealing with very multifaceted people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with egos. Yeah. You're dealing with attitude. You're dealing with addictions sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people who have di- addictions. You're dealing with baby mamas who are blowing up their phones while they're trying to do interviews. You're, de- <laughs> you're dealing with a lot of stuff, you know. Not everybody was raised in an environment that they have control of, right, you know. Right. Um, and so when you're dealing with artists, you're also taking in all of that, you know. And sometimes you're dealing with different girl- girlfriends in different area codes, you know, who... <laughs> um, <laughs> who will show up at things and, you know, hey, Jackie, this is my girlfriend. Hey, how are you, San Diego? <laughs> hey, Jackie, this is my girlfriend. Oh, hey, how are you, San Francisco? You know? Wow. And you're dealing with all of that, you know. So when you're dealing with um, an artist, you truly are dealing with people. Right, right. And you're dealing with an elevated people because in order to create, you have to have sort of sensitivity, mm-hmm. you know. You have to have some sort of sensitivity in order to create, you know. So you're dealing with those sensitivities when you're dealing with artists. Labels and corporations tend to just sit down and say, this is our bottom line and these are the results we want. Right, right. And they want answers from you on how you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's cut and dry. As long as you give them what they want. Right. And you are pleasing to work with and you deliver, you're good. You're not dealing with the 11 o'clock, hey, Jackie. Right. You up? (laughs) <laughs> I had this idea. I'm thinking we should do this. <laughs> when that office closes at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, you're not going to hear from the person till the morning. That's right. You may wake up to 50 emails from the corporation, but you're not getting that call at 11 o'clock saying, you know what? 
my spirit is not feeling like I want to talk to Is tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Can you cancel that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So there's a big difference between dealing with artists and corporations. So having been around artists for quite a while, or anyone mm-hmm. that's been around artists for quite a while, know that there are varying levels of temperaments. And also, you, I'm sure, could find folks that are quite difficult to deal with. Would you, would you mind, I'm not names, but would you mind sharing maybe some of the tactics to be able to work with someone that is, you know, just so caught up in their art that maybe isn't thinking logically, maybe doesn't know what's best for themselves, but they have to get you or you have to get them to trust you when, when you're working with them. Oh, perfect. Perfect example. Um, without naming names, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a show called TRL, mm-hmm. which was live. And I had an artist who, you know, let me backtrack before I say this about this particular artist, because mm-hmm. I want to share the psychology of the person, right. you know, um, sometimes when people get put on and they're trying to get in there, they don't get in and then bring everybody else in. Mm-hmm. You become that meal ticket for everybody. Mm-hmm. You become that meal ticket for the group that you're bentering, you know, right. and you're trying to bring in everybody at the same time. And not every artist is able to say, you know what? I'm going to get myself solid before I bring my boys on. Right. Is what I'm saying making sense? Yes. So here we are at TRL. This is not an artist that would normally get booked on MTV. Mm. I have pushed and pushed and pushed for MTV to finally recognize this artist. This artist is, um, Sway is the host of the show. Mm. So thankfully we have a hip hop head, you know, who is hosting the show. But the producers are not hip hop heads. Right. They are very different Mm -hmm. from the artists that they are booking. So there are certain cultural sensitivities that they don't connect with, you know? Right. So this artist came up with his whole crew. Mm. Crew that he was mentoring, the next group that he's putting out, Mm -hmm. all these people. And you know, TRL, MTV does not work that way. Right. You know? You come on and you do your thing, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Everybody else stays in the green room. Right. The show is live, and this particular artist decided that he did the, if my homies don't get some, I'm not going. Mm. And here I am as somebody who has pushed for this opportunity to happen. Wow. And the producers are like, Jackie, first of all, we didn't want to necessarily do this booking. Mm. We did it for you as a favor. You pitched for this. So you get your artist under control. Mm. Because that artist said, if I don't go on, if my guys don't go on, then I'm not going on. Wow. It was live. <laughs> and they were playing this, you know, stubborn game. Mm-hmm. MTV's like, are they coming in? <laughs> I am not coming in. What's going on, Jackie? We are live. You know? And Sway, how it was fixed was Sway came out. And he saw who the artist was, and he was like, you know, just let them all in. Just let them all in. Wow. <laughs> and they had to grab extra mics. It was crazy. After that taping, MTV security came upstairs. Mm. And the group wanted to, you know, the, the, the artist wanted to stay and watch, you know, the show in the green room. They were like, you have to leave. Mm. Get out. Mm. 
And that messed up my relationship mm. with these bookers at MTV. Wow. No flowers that I purchased. Mm. Nothing that I did would help, you know, because from their vantage point, they do things. They're very ordered. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These are the, these are the number of the people of the group in the group. This is the number of microphones we have. This is another number of, you know, views or camera shots we're doing, you right, know, right. They're not trying to have 20 people come on the set, you know, mm-hmm. who have not been pre, you know, pre um, sorted through, right, you know, right. the saggy pants and all of that is now on air live on MTV. Right. And I'm standing back there like, damn, damn. wow, how am I going to fix this? And all I heard was, wow. And they're laughing. Right, right, right. How do you navigate that? I mean, we know, having been around long enough, we know that there are plenty of artists that are amazing and cordial or or easy to get along with, but there's a lot of difficult personalities that are not reasonable. And, you know, just just to be frank, they're unprofessional. How do you how do you get well, around I've that? Had, I, I, I've, I I didn't have control over that as a as a label person. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when they there's a, there's a particular group that used to send me Bible verses and they weren't the kindest Bible verses. Mm. You know, and it wasn't because of something I did. It was like okay, you know, <laughs> mm. we're angry at the label. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I would get up to these scary Bible verses. You wow. know, like, um. And you know what it is, is when I was at the label, I didn't have the opportunity. Sometimes now I will sit down and talk to an artist and sit down and see where the head is at. Mm -hmm. Because I've also realized something that I'm a brand as well. Mm -hmm. So when I call is you either know Jackie's being authentic or she's not, you know, Um, she doesn't call me about crap, you know, Mm -hmm. When she calls me, you know, and she says it's dope, it usually is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's the brand that I carry with me. I didn't have that control over that brand when I was at the label, right. you know, Indeed. because they would say, you know, your new project is this. Our new priorities are this, you know. I do have a little bit more control now that I can pick. But you know what's interesting, though, is sometimes... I, because I'm working directly with the artist, I see things in them that you will never see, mm. you know, because of the image that they may have. You know what I mean? Right. But because I might talk to them in, on a visceral level, I know things about them that, right, right. that, that you won't know. And, and I think that sometimes for me, those things that I know are the things that make it different for me. Indeed. Because now I begin to understand certain things about that person that maybe the public doesn't understand. You know what you understand? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a perfect example. Prodigy, of course, as you know, had sickle cells, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Prodigy and I used to have some very deep conversations about sickle cell. My daughter had sickle cell. Wow. You know? We would have deep conversations about sickle cell, nutrition, diet, um, conspiracy theories and, you know, all this, all sorts of stuff that people would have never associated with Mob Deep. Right, right. You know what I mean? But I knew him on a different level. And so that, that makes it easier 
sometimes when you're working with somebody, when you get to know them on a different kind of level, what other people may perceive as being difficult for you, you understand because you know who that person is. For example, if you're a DMX's publicist and you know what he's been through, you know, right. you know his true story, not the story that he's created or given to everybody else, but you know the true story. You know what I mean? Right, the real so person. So it helps you. Yeah, it helps you to be able to um, identify and communicate with him. And maybe sometimes you have to back off because there are certain things that you know. Um, and I think that that's what I hold with me. But again, I think the difference with me is I'm not Hollywood. Mm. I'm not industry. Um, I worked with um, infamous um, mob one time, right? Mm -hmm. And they were always late to interviews. Always late. I started cooking. I like to cook. Right. So at my um, home interviews and stuff like that, journalists would come over my house and I would cook. Nice. You know? And, and, and they would cook. And the first time they came over to my house, um, they were like, uh, you know, this long day of press. I'm like, no, no, don't worry. I got you. Mm -hmm. And I cooked, you know, and it was just like, it was different for them. Right. They weren't expecting that, you know, journalists came over. I cooked, you know, so interviews, people would linger and just stay at the house and, and just chill. The next time I had a listen, um, interview with, and one of the guys from Infamous Mob came late, you know? Mm -hmm. So when he came, all the food was gone. And when he got here, they were like, man, <laughs> yo, she, yo, she threw down. She made salmon cakes. She made lapanos, <laughs> you know? <laughs> she made, um, she made dinner. She made that. And he was like, word, you cook? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. You know, journalists would come. They would just relax. I mean, that's the kind of vibe I had, you know, when I would do in-persons at my house, you know? Right. So the next time we had interviews, the one who was late, let's say our interview was at 5, he came at 2 o'clock. I was still <laughs> in the shower. I was still, I was literally in the shower and the doorbell rang. And I was like, yeah, hello? <laughs> He's like, it's me. I'm here. I'm like... We not scheduled till five o'clock, and he's like, "Yeah, I know. I had a I had an argument with my girl, and I just didn't want to go someplace and miss." <laughs> and he was three hours early. Wow! And that day I wasn't cooking. Do you know Godfather of uh, Infamous Mob made me get dressed and go to the supermarket? Wow! To buy some groceries <laughs> so I can cook, and I made bread pudding with bourbon sauce. Nice. And he was like, you actually are standing here ripping the bread in pieces? <laughs> That's how you make bread pudding, you know? So we are literally in my kitchen, myself and Godfather of Infamous Mob, Queensbridge, <laughs> <laughs> making this, you know, bread pudding, you know? Nice. And, you know, he was there. He was on time, you know? So I had little ways to deal with people like that. That's it. And so they, they, they you know... One thing that they always just said is just very real, you know, Right. you're like a mom or a sister, you know, or those kind of, that's, that's just my vibe, you know? So that's how I dealt with it. And from then on, I never had infamous mob ever be late for anything <laughs> because they understood that I would take care of them, you know? Right. And so that's what it was. And there's, mm -hmm. there's something to be said about that, that human connection that I think sometimes in this machine that we call the industry gets lost. I am a little African girl from Ghana. <laughs> uh, 
I was born in West Africa, Ghana. I came here when I was a year old. Wow. You know, my, our, our culture is about community. Uh-huh. Um, it is, you know, for those people that really get to know me, it's one thing when you just, we just talk and we pitch and, right. you know, whatever. Right. But for those people who get to know me who know, they know that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and, and that's who I am. I am not vice president or director of publicity. I'm just do what I do. I love what I do. And I never stop being a person mm. inside of what I do. Had an artist in town this weekend. I was like, hey, you need a place to stay? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, and that's just the, the way I am. I've had a writer who came from, from well, where is he from? He's from Paris. Mm. You know, he came to town and whatever situation he had didn't work out. He ended up sleeping on my couch, you wow. know? Nice. <laughs> um, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm just a little African girl. <laughs> It's part of a community, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and some of that community is uh, are my clients, are people, yeah, right. you know, and then there are certain people that I just don't care for, you know, their spirit and mind does not mesh. Mm-hmm. And I will find a way when that contract ends to say, you know what, it has been a pleasure servicing you. That's right. Uh, thank you so much for your business. I wish you well. Right. And I keep it moving. That's right. And you have to sometimes just for the sake of sanity it's like the the money isn't worth it right sometimes it's not mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's not i did work a project once which paid me very nicely mm-hmm. and my spirit mm. my spirit couldn't do it mm. my spirit couldn't do it um and i'd worked that project for about two months and when the contract ended they wanted to continue and i said no i, I couldn't do it anymore wow because it was hard to pick up the phone Right. Yeah. You know, I couldn't find anything redeeming, you know? Indeed. And even in trying to get to know the person, trying to figure out if there was something else, I could not find anything, you know? And it just became difficult to to get up and attach myself to it, you know? Right. And so, you know, I fulfilled my responsibility. And when it was over, I said, you know, I'm not going to continue. Why are you leaving? Because... I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I can't do this. And you can always tell when people are passionate about what they do, right, you know, right. And you can tell when people, their hearts just not in it. You mm-hmm. know, um, I have a client who I'm working right now, who I'm going to share with you later. He's a very interesting character. He reminds, somebody said, I'm not going to say that I said, but mm-hmm. somebody said they remind, he reminds them of Gucci man when he first came out, mm-hmm. King Buck. Mm-hmm. He just has, the craziest personality. Mm-hmm. He is funny as all hell. Right. And like like the Gucci man or ODB, you mm-hmm. know, just mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, personality, right. you know? Right, right. But when I sat down and I talked to King Buck the first time, because before I start doing a campaign, I sit down and do my own interview. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's for the bio or whether it's for me to get to know them and the angle. And when I sat down with him, I was like, wow, there's just so much more to you, you know? Mm-hmm. There's just so many layers, you know, right. to you. And while he was talking to me, his manager came in, and we were in the middle of having this conversation about something that I guess would co- could be considered by others to be confidential. Mm-hmm. And the manager came in, and he was like, you told her that? Nah. <laughs> How did y'all get to talking about that? And he said, I was just comfortable talking to her. <laughs> Where did that question come from? You know, and one of the things he said something about 
um, something that I identify with. I've never been through it in my family, but in some immigrant families or, or um, you know, families, foreign families, mm-hmm. you're not always raised by your mother. Mm-hmm. You know, your mother may be back in your country. Right. And you're raised by aunties and uncles and, you know, mm-hmm. and in the conversation I asked him, what did it feel like when your mother said goodbye? Mm. Like, you know, she has to go to this country and set up stuff before you get there, you know? Right. But what did it feel like when she said goodbye? Wow. Did you feel like you were abandoned? And he was just like, nobody ever asked me. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me stuff like that, you know? Mm. And so his manager walked in and he was just like, uh, y'all are getting really deep. You told her about that? He's like, I don't know. She asked me and I answered. Um, and it just gave me a different insight. Um, so now the things that you may see, like the ODB thing, are very different for me because I know the person behind it. Right. And you mentioned earlier the importance of a story. And it's it's interesting because there's so many things that have changed in the industry over the past, even even the past five years, never mind the past 20 plus years. But one of the things that hasn't really changed is the importance of that story. If, if you don't mind, could you share some of the things that you feel are still important. So obviously we have a lot of changes. Social media is a big part of that, but what are the the mainstays things that are still kind of paramount to good publicity, to getting publicity? Everyone has something that makes them relatable. Mm. Everyone has something that makes them relatable. Every song comes from some place. Every lyric comes from some place. Even if you're writing about somebody else's experience, you chose to draw on that experience because of a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the stories are. Um, I represented somebody who is not a music artist. He was a baker. Mm. And he made this amazing sweet potato cheesecake. Mm. And he sat there and told me about all the fresh ingredients he uses and why he's the best at what he does and all this kind of stuff. And I kept asking him why. Mm-hmm. Because the ingredients you do fresh, why? Because mm. I use organic ingredients, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Why is it important for you to do that? It's easier for you to, it's cheaper to do this, why? Mm-hmm. And I kept asking. Mm-hmm. And he, his story, he thought his story was about the fact that he made the best baked stuff. And I said, that's bullshit. Mm. <laughs> because Junius makes good cheesecakes. There's always somebody that can do it better than you. Right. So why? Why? And that simple why at some point in him telling me, because I'm the best. Mm-hmm. His wife gave me a look and she said, ask him that question again. And then she gave him the look mm-hmm. and told him to tell me the truth. Mm. And he said... Okay, this is not important, but the reason why I make the best stuff is because I ate the worst stuff for 12 years. I was in prison for 12 years. I used to be a heroin addict. This store where my store is, is where I used to shoot dope. The reason why my my bakery is in this neighborhood is because I destroyed this neighborhood. Mm. 
And so this is how I'm rebuilding it. Mm. After school, I take kids off the streets, kids who I see that look like myself, mm-hmm. strung out on dope. I teach them how to bake. So I said to him, okay, so you're you're changing lives one sweet tooth at a time. Nice. That is your story. Mm -hmm. Your story has nothing to do about what you thought it was about. Right. You thought it was about the cheesecake. You thought it was about the special ingredients. The story is really about somebody who cares Mm -hmm. about the ingredients. The story is really about someone who's changing lives one sweet tooth at a time. Mm. The story is about somebody who had is paid his debt to society and is still paying, you know? Right. Your story is about somebody who did not run away from his community but came back to rebuild it. That is a different story. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kept asking you why. Right. Because everybody does something for a reason. True. You understand? True. You know, most things that people are very passionate about come from someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I give out turkeys at Thanksgiving. Why? Mm. Perhaps because when they grew up, they never had a turkey, right. you know? Right. <laughs> so there's always something, you know, but there, it takes people being able to ask the, quite, the right questions, you know? So I go in before I start campaigns and sometimes ask those questions, mm-hmm. you know? And those questions become part of the bio. Right. And those questions become something I might say is, when you speak to him, ask him about this, this, and that. Mm-hmm. And that comes from those conversations. It comes from the whys. Right. And the whys really make up the story. And you mentioned, you mentioned bio. It's interesting, uh, you know, going back to this idea that there's some things that obviously have changed dramatically and other things that have not the value mm-hmm. of a bio is extremely important. And it's kind of interesting that more and more because of the nature of, you know, making music available so easily with platforms that we're all familiar with, you have so many artists that are prolific. They just drop music nonstop, but they don't seem to have the foundation set up like a bio. What do you, what do you think about that space that we're in now where some of the, the most Basic things like a website, a lot of artists uh, don't seem to have when they're starting out. And it was kind of like a given. You would definitely have that before you even thought about trying to get some kind of coverage. We used to read articles that say continue on page number 102. True. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. And then you would continue to read. The attention span has changed. Right. Um, And then you have writers also who have changed now. They don't like to transcribe, you know? Mm -hmm. So now we're going to do everything on video and whatever. So the technology has changed, right, you know? Right, right, right. But the story never changes. Mm-hmm. The story itself never changes. Right. Um, I always tell people to have a good bio because that's your starting point. I mm-hmm. need to know what I'm talking to you about. Mm-hmm. I need to know who you are. What makes you different? What are your songs about? And that comes across in the bio. Now, how I've changed with things is... Mm-hmm. As a publicist, when I first started out, we'd always do the for immediate release, and then we would sell it all out in the release. Right. But now I'm catching up with my artists. I've got to go to their IGs and see what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Announcements get put on Instagram before I even know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, wait, you're going to Japan for a tour? I didn't know about that. <laughs> the fans already know about it because you posted it, right. you know? Right. Um, 
So now my releases have become less a foreign immediate release, such and such. It's now become Israel announces um, such and such on his Instagram with a screenshot of, you know, right. what is posted, um, because that's in, in, in your authentic voice. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than me having to create the language around it, now I'll just say, you know, um, for instance, one of my clients is Lecrae. Lecrae posted his baptism when he went to Israel and the journey to Israel, and he posted pictures of his bio. How am I going to write about that in the press release? Mm. I didn't. I just went to his Instagram, grabbed some screenshots, and said, here's a story, you know? Lecrae got rebaptized. Mm-hmm. Here are the clips, you know? And I put a paragraph or two underneath that. What that, what did that did for you, what that does for the writer is you're not getting me translating the experience. Right. You know? Right. I'm giving, I'm only directing you to his page mm-hmm. where you can capture the experience for yourself. So it's changed in that respect. Right. Now artists have a lot more control, you know, mm-hmm. over what they put out. I mean, Cardi B is constant with it. It's every day. It's her personality, you know. Um, I'm afraid of the person who works for Trump. It's every day. Mm-hmm. It's his personality, <laughs> you know. Uh, and every day that person wakes up to something that her client has written on they his book. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on, and they have to deal with it. Yeah. I would, that would be the job of fear for me. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know if I would go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know what the president of the United States is going to say on his Twitter. So mm-hmm. let me not sleep yeah, right. and keep watching that. Mm-hmm. So it's changed. I mean, the great thing is that we used to curate as labels. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. We had control over it. Now we don't. The great thing is that from a journalistic standpoint, you get who the artist really is. True. You know what I mean? Because when they rant, they rant. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But on the offset of it is it's less controlled. Once it's out there, you know, um, we all often have to do a little bit more damage control or tell the person to go silent for a minute until it blows off mm-hmm. over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just changed. But... As you stated, the story is still the same. People are always going to be in, in, interested in how DMX grew up. Right. Who he is, um, you know, why he connects with dogs, just all of that. The story never changes. You know what I mean? The, the, the interest in the story never changes. The problem is that you don't have as many people that will sit down and delve into the story. Right. You know? Right. Um, and a lot of labels don't. It's for immediate release, the singles coming out, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I try as much as I can to um, get those out, you know, um, because I think that that's what really makes the person unique is the story. Right. What, what would you say is the biggest misconception about what a publicist does? Hmm. So I'm sure you've had clients, they reach out to you and they think one thing when in reality that maybe isn't what you do or isn't what you can do for them. I think that one thing that um, people, see, sometimes clients forget that journalists are people. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them are paid very little, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Some of them are doing this work because they're passionate about it. Right. And there is no return. 
But the expectation of the client is, I need it now. And not realizing that that person may be going through a foreclosure right now. Um, that person may be on dialysis. Mm. You know, there are writers who are going through chemo, you know, right. and they're posting on Facebook or Instagram. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think another misconception is a lot of artists like to compare themselves to other artists. True. Well, they got it, but you don't know how they got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know, there are people sleeping with people, you know, mm-hmm. to, to get stories. Right. I am not one of them. Right. You know, um, there was an instance one time where a particular artist got, you know, a really nice rating on something. And the artist said, well, my album is better than hers. Right. I was like, oh, but you did not know that the manager of that artist is the girlfriend of the editor in chief of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what I mean? Politics. There's a story behind a story, right. you know? Right. Um, everything is not, everything is not done cut dry. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, one of the things that happened to me after, uh, and I guess it's because again, I'm not industry. So nine 11 happened and I couldn't call people. Mm. I just couldn't call people. I had a really hard time Mm -hmm. for a while. I don't know what you're going through. Right. And it was still a pitch day. What do you say? Wow. You know, that's intense. What do you say? Wow. Sometimes, sometimes entertainers specifically don't remember that the publicist is a person. I have to pick up my child from school. Mm-hmm. I might be doing homework at certain times. They forget that the writer is a person. Mm-hmm. You know, that just because a press release was sent out last night doesn't mean that that person may have had the opportunity to post it. Right. Um, I think that those are some, some, some of the things. Everything's so instant. I want it. I want it. I want it. I think that there's also a perception sometimes of if I don't get it, then it's your fault. Mm. But if I do get it, it's not because you really worked hard to make that happen. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. Uh, so that happens also. You mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah, of course I got that because I'm the shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And they have no idea how many times the publicist had to call. And we as publicists also, I mean, and, and, and let me say this is, I don't like every publicist either. Right. You know, some of us are real nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us are caught up in our, our ourselves. And so what happens is the writers and the editors think we're all like that. Right. And so the publicist label is there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've dealt with publicists who are terrible and I'm not, I'm not trying to be nasty to where they, it's like unnecessarily nasty, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Why are you so nasty? Um, for no reason, power, control, whatever, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I'm not cut from that cloth. Right. So I have a hard time with that. Um, you know, but there's so much pressure also True. on publicists to deliver. You write a press release tonight, tomorrow morning, the person wants a report. Mm. Uh, so is didn't open his email yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can, I get a, can I get a couple of days? Right. You know? Right. Um, so there are those realities. You know, you sent it out on Friday. I, I don't see anything happening. And, you know, I'm paying you money. Yeah. Oof. Lord have mercy. And in an environment where we're all inundated with so many messages and and obviously so many artists 
are releasing music. I mean, more music than has ever been released in the history of the industry. It's almost impossible. Well, it is impossible to really be on top of everything. So, so what are what would you say are some of the tips to break through that noise? Other than a good story, is there anything else that you would you would say helps break through? Personality. Mm. Um, I heard somebody say that one time that if you're good, you're going to be seen. Mm-mm. You see, the things that may not happen instantly. Right. But as you keep seeing something, you're like, well, what's going on with this person? But I'm going to say personality. Mm. And again, going back to Cardi B, she keeps you engaged. You're like, what is this woman talking about? <laughs> she is so off script, uh-huh. you know, uh, <laughs> that you just like, she, either she's really genuine or she's out of her mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. She's talking about her chocha, whether it's washed or cleaned. She is, <laughs> is on Instagram with her without her wig on. Uh-huh. She is, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Authentic. It feels so authentic that when she goes live, you're just like, what is she getting ready right, to say? Right. Personality. You know what I mean? True. Personality. You have to also bring something. You know, I have a client or I had a client who never posted anything. And when she posted everything, it was so curated. Mm. You know, it was a post to the side, you know? Right. And I was like, what do you like to do? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, take off the mask for a minute and have fun with yourself. All the photos she posted were some were some photo shoot that she did, you know? Mm-hmm. Cardi B does the opposite. She posts a picture of herself with whipped cream on her nose, you know? <laughs> and what it does is it makes her relatable. I think that beyond the bio, I mean, if you think about the different iconic people that have come into this um, realm of entertainment, most of them have had personality. True. True. You know, you never knew what ODB was going to do mm-hmm. or say. Right. Um, Bruno Mars, personality and his stagemanship. You know what I mean? Right. He doesn't wear anything special. He may be still wearing the same thing as everybody else, but you still see him mm. in the midst of the band. The band is doing the same steps, but he still stands out. You know what I mean? Right. There are just certain people who have it, True. and you are drawn to them. But the thing that, the thing, one of the things that you're drawn to is the authenticity, that thing that makes them different. Right. And when everybody tries to be the same, even with Tony Braxton, when she came out, everybody was doing the long hair. She came out with the short hair and it was like, ah! <laughs> you went there. Mary J. Blige had her dance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That she does. You know, you can hear a song and you can, you know, oh, that's a Mary J. Blige song. Right. It's personality and brand. So I think that that is one of the things that makes a difference besides the bio. Right, right. That tells the story of who you are. We know Janelle Monet is going to have something on brand that's in black and white. Right. She may do black and white very differently, but it's still her brand. Mm-hmm. You can look at something even if she's not wearing it and say, oh, that's a Janelle, Janelle, that's a Janelle Monet. So with so many artists out there today that are trying to do the same thing, they're trying to get attention, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to someone that's taking their career seriously, obviously still coming up, still aspiring to make something of themselves. What's that biggest takeaway you would give them? Make sure the product is right. Mm. 
You can have all the personality you want and then be whack. True. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Make sure the product is right. If you're making sweet potato cheesecake, make the best sweet potato cheesecake and then add the story to it. Right. right. If you are putting out the album, make out make the best album and then have the personality. Mm-hmm. You can't have personality and then people just put on your record and they can't even listen five seconds into it. Right. Because it sounds so bad. So invest in your art first. True. You know, the other thing I tell people is, um, cause I also do media training mm-hmm. and I tell people that whenever you're doing something, start from the end. What is your objective? Mm. What do you want to accomplish at the end of the day? What is it that you really, really want? Interesting. And if you can start from the end, then you can figure out the steps that you need to take to get there. Right. That's great advice. Yeah, I was doing that with some reality stars who, you know, one of the difficulties with reality stars, you know, is that they go on to the show thinking, having one objective. And then because of the way things are cut, you know, people don't have the the best opinions of them, you know? Right. And so I will sit down with them. I do um, media training and I've done media training with quite a few. And I say, what is objective? Why did you come on the show to begin with? Hmm. You know, what is your story beyond the cat fights? And, you know, Mm -hmm. what are you trying to sell? What are you trying to project? And if you don't have control of it on camera, Mm -hmm. because it's going to be cut a certain way, then make sure that when you're off camera, you're doing things that are connected to your objective. Right. You cannot tell me that this reality show has control of your whole entire identity. Mm. You cannot tell me that. So if you're saying that you really want to help children or whatever, so then what are you doing about that? Right. So start doing it so that the lens may capture that. And if it doesn't, do it anyway. Because guess what? These days you have your own social media. You can post what you want to post and what you want people to know about you. And what's going to happen is people are going to go, oh, wait, that's really different. I didn't expect her to be doing that. That's different from the from what they see, they show on the TV show. So never come to me and tell me you don't have control over your identity. Mm, that's great. That's a great perspective. Yeah, yeah. You will get put in positions that make for good TV, but you're not on TV all the time. So what are you doing when you're off TV? Mm. What does your brand look like? Right. So again, work from the end. Figure out what you want to get out of it. And move forward. One person who mastered that was Amara La Negra. She became so much greater than (laughs) Love and Hip Hop in in Miami. Mm -hmm, You know, she got the whole um, um, conversation about Afro-Latinas. And she ran with it, you know? She became that person, that first, that, that, that identity. She didn't go on the show for that, but she created her own lane. Right. And so she forced the conversation around it. So don't tell me that you don't have control. You know? True. I, I sit there and I, don't, don't, don't tell me you don't have control. You have some sort of control. You're not on camera all 24-7. That's right. So let me, let's go to your social media. What are you posting about? What are you doing in your off time? What are you saying in your interviews? So you are feeding right into the character and you're saying you don't have any control. Right, right. 
know, know what you're here for, know what you're here for. And that's with anything, you know, if you're going to do, a, if you say you want to do a film, what does that look like? What is the final step of that? Right. Is it a film that you're putting on Netflix? Is it something that you want to be in theaters? Mm-hmm. Do you want to focus on the soundtrack? You know what I mean? Right. Like what is the final objective? Figure out the final objective and then work backwards. Awesome. That's certainly a great place to start to know where you want to end up. Yep. Because once you know where you want to end up, you can sit and say, does this, you can make chess moves, you know? Right. And say, is this going to get me that? You know? And I'm like, write it down, write it down. And so I have trenched it out like a football field. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, Mm -hmm. objective is on this side. You're at the 50 yard line. Is the 50 yard line bringing you closer to the objective? Mm -hmm. If it's not, then what's your next play? Right. And so now people hear my voice in their head, like, okay, Jackie said objective. You know? Mm -hmm. So are you talking to the producers about your business that you're trying to nurture Mm -hmm. and asking them to write them, write it in and finding a way, you know, are you talking to the other characters on your show, you know, the, and talking to them and say, Hey, come make a visit at my hair salon. You know, like, how are you bringing it closer to what you want? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're not doing that and you're just sitting in the restaurant having wine, then you're not, you're not meeting your objectives. So true. So, so for someone that is working on their career, on their business, and they're doing all of the things that everybody believes or know that they have to do today. They have to be on social media. They have to create content. At what point do you feel that they should then start looking to hire a professional in the publicity world to bring onto their team? What would you say is is the right time if there is a right time? Well, first of all, you have to have a budget. (laughs) Ah, I like that. (laughs) To hire the publicist. That's it. You know, you have to have the budget to hire the publicist. Mm -hmm. You also have to have the understanding that publicity is called a publicity campaign. Mm. It is not called a publicity day. Mm -hmm. It is not called a publicity week. It's called a campaign. Right. You have to be ready to invest the time and the money in, in, in a campaign. Um, there is somebody who I am working with right now who did some things with her photo shoot. And, you know, she was spending all this money. And I saw the photos and I was like, no, hmm. we're not going to use any of these. Because hmm. they just don't look good. Right. Like, literally, you would have seen them and trashed her. Mm. And then you would have talked about me behind my back. <laughs> because that's what people do. Why does their publicist and her people let her go out looking like that? <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. You hear that all the time. Uh-huh. You know, why didn't her, pub- her publicist or her manager do something? Uh-huh. Or, he, ooh, she let, they let her, they let him say that? Because your belief is that we every, have everything under control. You know what I mean? Right. And sometimes you do have to tell people, let's stop. And no, you're not ready to do the campaign right now. You need a proper bio. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to your songs. And it's the hardest thing to do is really Mm -hmm. when somebody has crafted something and they step out and they're confident about it enough to even come to a publicist and say, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And you tell them that they're not it's hard. Yeah. 
It's hard to tell somebody, listen, all your tracks sound the same. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hear that. You've done spent studio time, you know, whatever, but you've been working with the same producer and the producer gave you the same beat. Mm -hmm. And every song sounds the same. As a publicist, I have to somewhat think or try and think the way it would be received by the press person who I'm going to be pitching it to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, I'm not saying that I play A&R, but sometimes I'm like, hmm, that first single is not introducing you properly. Mm. What about that other song? You know, or have you ever thought about when you do your video to take that story you told me and that and put it in the treatment? Right, right. Because those things create the conversation, you know? Now you as a writer begin to see things visually through that video and now you have questions, mm -hmm. you know? I heard in your lyrics you said this. I saw in your video that you did this. So sometimes it's getting people to slow down and take stock of those things. Our problem right now is that people have the tendency to look at the number of likes mm -hmm. rather than pay attention to the value of the content. True. So people think, oh, I got these many likes. The, the, those likes may not translate into sales. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, what is your objective? Right. Is your objective to get fame and do shows? Mm -hmm. Or is your objective to sell the single? What is your objective? Right. Or maybe you don't want to sell singles at all. You just want to go on tour and do club dates. So this is the question. And it happens in every single pre-publicity interview that I do. What is the objective? Right. What are you trying to accomplish? What would mean success to you? Mm, I like that. You know? So if you sit down, you know, Biggie had a song. He says, my mom, my mother smiles every time her face is up in the source. So what is that outlet for you? That when you get into this, then you know that you've arrived. Mm. What is it? Which one is it? Asking questions like that gives you a measure. Right. But asking questions like that for me gives me a sense of whether you're being realistic or not. Uh, there you go. Because if I'm sitting down with you and you're saying you want to be in People Magazine, you're an unknown <laughs> artist, then this might not be a project I want to take. There you go. Then I'm going to say, you know what? The reality is that it may take a while before you get there. Now, if you want that right away, then I don't believe that's going to happen. Right. Not because we're not going to try, but I'm giving you the reality. Because nowadays, everybody is so number-oriented. And people don't listen to shit sometimes. Mm -hmm. They just go look at the numbers. Right. You know? Right. How many followers? How many clicks? What's the logistics? What are the numbers? Mm -hmm. And they're not sitting and listening to the music. They listen to the music after they listen, look at the numbers. Right, right. You know? Labels are doing the same thing. Labels are expecting the people to come in with numbers and followers and this and that mm -hmm. before they even lift a finger. Right. True. It wasn't like that before. You came in and we wanted to create you, mold you, um, build the audience for you. Now they're like, oh, he don't have no followers. So. That's right. It could be the dopest person ever, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he doesn't have any followers, you know, so. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, certainly there's there's an importance in having 
not only the goal, but also have it be within the realm of reality, which obviously there are a lot of folks that kind of, you know, look at whoever happens to be the biggest uh, fish in the ocean, and that's what they're aspiring to do, yet they're missing, you know, the years or the team or the machine that made that, you know, success. Well, nowadays, the success comes from death. Mm, sadly. You die and everybody writes about you. Sadly. So you have a lot of young, young artists. We just lost one yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who um, are dying, you know, and they become this mystical being, you know, mm-hmm. when they die. Oh, all of a sudden TMZ was never written about you. Before, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah has a whole story about you, you mm-hmm. know. Um, Nipsey Hussle, who was, you know, doing the things he was doing, nobody knew about that. Um, now he dies. All of a sudden, you know, the marathon continues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when did the marathon begin? True. Oh, you didn't know about what he was doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So death has become the number one seller now, you know. Um, people are making more money in death, you know. Um, people are, I saw a, a magazine that writes only about women today writing something about, um, somebody who died, who was a hip hop artist male. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. That's so interesting. Cause I want to pitch that person when, you know, <laughs> you never, you never will write about them. Um, there was, um, um, I remember there was, um, I, I for one very, very small period before you passed, I, I was working in a group from B12. Mm-hmm. Eminem. And it was the whole thing of my angle was to kind of get people to see that the character in Eighth Mile with the locks mm-hmm. was the was was proof and get them to understand the impact right. that he had on Detroit music and, the, you know, and the chance that he took on this white rapper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Eminem putting him on and co-signing him, you know, um, at a time when white rappers weren't really. Acknowledged. Um, acknowledged. You know what I mean? Um, and that was what the story I was running through with proof. Like, okay, so when you watch D12, realize, mm-hmm. you know, when you watch 8 Mile, realize that the dude with the locks is proof. Right. Um, and there were many people that I pitched who weren't interested. Mm. That they didn't take D12 seriously, so they didn't take proof seriously, mm. you know? Mm. And after he passed, I was in, again, in L.A. It seems like I'm always in L.A. when I get a call from somebody about something pivotal. Um, I was in L.A. and I got a call from the Associated Press. Hey, so, um, and, and it was early. I didn't even know he passed. Wow. You know? And they called me and they said, well, you know, we want to talk to you about proof. And I'm like, oh, are we doing a feature on proof now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he kind of was killed. And I started crying on the phone. Wow. And I, and I just dropped the phone. I was like, give me a minute. And I just dropped the phone. Um, Proof was another one who I had very deep conversations with. Just really interesting, funny as all hell cat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And his album at that time was called Searching for Jerry Garcia. Who's, who chooses a title yeah. like that? You know what I mean? In hip-hop. <laughs> In hip-hop, Searching for Jerry Garcia. You know? <laughs> And um, we had this whole conversation about what that meant. It was about, you know, mental stability and, you know, just all of these things, you know. Right. Um, so when he passed, I was quite upset because everybody was right about proof all of a sudden, mm. you know. But when he was living, it was hard to get those rights. The same thing with Guru. Genius. People were saying, well, 
we don't have an audience for Guru. We haven't written, you know, you know, we're not writing about the older cats right now. And, you know, I is Guru. Mm-hmm. And that was a shame because when he passed, it was all about the, you know, the crazy story that had come out. And so hard, yeah. yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it is. It is. But I, now I see that on um, Premier is working with mm-hmm. his son. Yeah, I saw. I, saw I haven't the videos. heard the music, but I heard the son sounds a lot like Guru. Mm. Yeah. And even with Guru, I didn't know that he was sick. I don't think a lot of I people know. Yeah. No, nobody. Uh, nobody. I didn't know. Right. Because for the majority of the campaign, I live in Atlanta, so mm-hmm. I was in Atlanta and they were in New York. So for the majority of the pain, the campaign, I was uh, done by phone, you know, mm-hmm. scheduling interviews by phone. Right. And it was a difficult project to work, mm. you know, because I don't know how you write about Guru without talking about Premier and Jazzapass, yeah. you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. they didn't want those kinds of things really discussed, you know? Wow. It's like, like they didn't even exist. I'm like, this is crazy right here. You know, that's like uh, Michael Jackson can't talk about Jackson five. Like really? Right. (laughs) Um, But he had his reasons, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what those reasons were. I know that I had my daughter around that time. My daughter is 10. So it's been over 10 years that he passed. Mm. And I remember he came to Atlanta guru and I had just had a Mm C-section and I had just come out of the hospital and I went to the club to go meet Guru. Goodness. I had to be held up because oh. I couldn't stand up. Wow. I couldn't stand up, you know? And I looked at him and I said, oh, my God, he's sick. Mm. I had not seen him the whole three months of this campaign. Right. It's been by phone, by phone, by phone. So he called me and he says, I'm going to be coming to um, Atlanta. We're going to be doing this club. I know you just had the baby, but I, I would like to see you. Mm. You know, are you out at the hospital? And I said, Guru, I won't be there. Wow. And I got my boyfriend, you know, had the baby two days before. Had got my boyfriend and I said, could you take me? He took me, he helped me walk, helped me walk up the steps. Um, I was winded. I was in pain. And also I wasn't, this is TMI, but I wasn't taking any um, pain pain medication mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. after the C-section because I didn't want the um, medication in my my milk, System. you know, right, right. So, um, cause I want to feed my baby with that. So mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, so I was on no pain relievers and I went to this club in Atlanta and there was a guru looking very frail, you know, man, and a shadow of himself. Mm-hmm. And that was the very first time that I was like, wow, I didn't know. I didn't say anything to him about it. Yeah. You know, but I said to myself, I didn't know that he's sick. He doesn't look like he's here for long. Mm. And I felt so bad. And we took a picture that night. And then that was the last time. About two months later, he passed. Wow. Yeah. That's and shame. then everybody was calling me about so long. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. What was the deal? And I was like, I'm not working. Mm-hmm. I'm not working the project anymore. I see the fifth. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Intense. But my point in, in sharing that was not to share, you know, anything private. Of but course. To say that a lot of times when people, we celebrate, it's gotten to a point where people get their fame in death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we don't acknowledge people when they are living, True. you know, True. and then they, they pass and then we, I, you know, I, I iconize them. You know, all of a sudden they're this hugest thing and, 
you know, especially mainstream outlets who have never written about the person before, you know, exactly. all of a sudden, you know, writing all these deep explorative things. And mm-hmm. I hate that. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, we need to respect the legends and the people who have, um, who have made it possible, you know, and they're there. You know, some of them have diabetes and they're on their last tracks, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah, definitely. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's a people business, and I think so many times we we lose track of that. And I think some people more than others, you know, maybe don't even re- realize that or recognize that. But at, behind oh, all the you names, can you can get caught up real quick. Yeah, yeah. Behind you the names and the fame, it's people. Yeah, you're dealing with people. You know, you're dealing with people. Their opinions, whether they like something that they don't like something, you know. Um, and, and that's why I tell people, like, listen, from the publicity angle of it, it's very different when you're doing an ad, you know? Right. When you're doing an ad, it's just the money. You pay it, you get it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But when it's editorial, you all, you're now the person comes into play, you know? Mm-hmm. What do they think about what you've created, you know? Right, right. Um, do they have time to, um, to, to even post something, you know? What's going on in their lives? Sometimes for them, it's, some of them, it's like they didn't get paid for the last article that they wrote for that magazine, mm. so they're not writing anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't get paid by them, so I'm not writing any. Your album can be dope, but I'm not writing anything because I didn't get my last check for my last article. There's so many layers mm-hmm. behind what happens and when it happens and why it happens, you know? That's right. That's right. And sometimes the, in the labels get more of the support than an independent publicist. True. Why? Because the writer wants to be, or the writer, the editor wants to keep that relationship with that, that, that machine. Exactly. You know, they're not looking at the fact that, okay, Jackie can get fired mm. because she, you know, she has nothing written on this person. Right. They're looking at it like, you know, it's, but it's, but it's, it's the label, you know? Mm-hmm. So therefore the artists that they wouldn't have covered through an independent publicist, they will for the label, Very true. you know, for the other artists. So there's just so many things and so many reasons. Yeah. Definitely. There's a lot of dynamic in, in the industry. And as you said, politics, the whole thing. So Jackie, you have been a wealth of information and I want to thank you so much, but more importantly, I want to thank you and, and let you know that I've, uh, appreciate you and am grateful for having been in your orbit for the past, you know, 20 plus years. And you've always been authentic and awesome and positive, and And I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like I said, I'm the little girl from Africa, <laughs> you know, raised by Evelyn Parker, you know, so I, I, I've never attached anything else. That's that's what I, the publicity is what I do. It's yeah. not who I am, right, you know? Right, um, And there are a few people that get to know, you know, who I am. You know, Saturday mornings, I'm at the pantry, mm. you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I just be who I be. That's it. You know? That's it. Along the way, I meet some fantastic people, you know. Some of them are media friends who have become friends. Some of them are artists who have become friends. And some of them are just people who have nothing to do with any of it, who... Um, you know, are just my people, you know, everybody needs a village. That's right. So I've, I've created one in many different spaces. Nice. You know, 
And is there anything that you would like to share about learning more about your agency or how folks could maybe visit uh, your world online and kind of get a better idea for some of the things that you have going on? Sure. My company is Jackie Owen Co. Um, my website is J-A-C-K-I-E-O dot C-O. And my social media, I'm at Jackie O A N D C O, Jackie O and Co. everywhere. Nice. Awesome. And and just to reiterate one more time for all of the hungry artists out there, if, if you reach out to a publicist looking to hire them, you should have a budget. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely have a budget so that you can pay the person to do what they do for you. But also make sure that you know what you, your goals are, yeah. you know, what the end game is, so that that person can work with you to create a plan that meets that objective. But don't come to us before your project is perfect, because what you're going to give us is what we're going to sell. And if people are not responding to it, we didn't create it. <laughs> And if I could add one more thing, I would imagine you would agree. Don't reach out to a publicist after you've pressed publish on your album and it's already available everywhere. I would definitely say that. But also, the comment that I'm going to make now is not associated to the artist. It's the publicist. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of publicists that are not really representing the craft well. Mm. They are being hired and taking money and not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it makes it really hard for the publicists who do do things. Right. Um, by the time the client comes to us, they've been, you know, put Burnt. through the rail, right, right. <laughs> cheated, and et cetera. Yeah. Um, I will say also that there's something that you and I is, have been saying all night is that we are people. Mm. I'm not a ma magician. Mm-hmm. I cannot make is like a, an album that he does not like. True. I cannot. <laughs> what I can do is highlight some things on that album. What I can do is give you the backstory to make you have a different perspective of maybe the song. Right. I can do things like that. But if he doesn't like your verses, he just doesn't like your verses. Yeah. And Sometimes what happens is when people don't like something, rather than them telling you, I don't like them, uh -huh. they will not call you back. Right, right, right. Or they will ignore you. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the publicist is not doing her job. True. Everything is not for everyone. That is true. You know? That is true. And sometimes things get stuck in junk folders, you know? Mm -hmm. Then the other thing that I need to say to media people is mm -hmm. we're not here to annoy you. Mm -hmm. Again, we are people. Right. And hopefully most of us are doing their job properly, you know. Sometimes a no is all we need, you know. Right, right. No. No, I don't like it. I'm going to want to know why. Mm -hmm. Not because I don't trust your, uh, you know, your opinion. Mm -hmm. But sometimes artists want to know how they can make it better. Mm-hmm. You know, or the manager wants to know what is the reaction? What are, what are people saying? And sometimes all I, all I have to say is I didn't get a response. Right. And that makes it look like I didn't do my job mm -hmm. when I did, you know, 
Um, and some media people think like, okay, no response means you should know that I'm not interested. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that. I was working the Black Pat Panther film, and I didn't get a response from a lot of people. Mm. You know why? Because they didn't check their emails. Yeah. You know? And after the screening was done, then they called me. Oh, my God, I saw this. How come you didn't call me? <laughs> I never had your number. Right, right. All I have is your email, right. and I sent an email to you. But you should have called me. You should hit me on social media. I'm like, I got 10,000 people in my database. I'm going to be calling every single person. <laughs> I'm assuming that you were checking your email. And right. when you didn't check it, you, I figured you weren't interested. Right. Man, you trying to tell me that Tashaka was there? <laughs> yes, he was. Okay, Jackie, here's my number. Call me next time. <laughs> And then you call the next time and you say, don't call me, send me an email. Uh, That's how it is. That's how it is. And today you got every kind of inbox imaginable with all these social platforms. Yeah. Yeah. But again, 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 if we're doing our jobs effectively, we're getting to know people as people, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So now I'm able to, in relating and conversating with you, I'm able to say, if I have something I want you to listen to. Right. You know, That's it. and because it's coming from me and it's coming from an authentic place, mm-hmm. maybe you'll give it a chance. There you go. Or maybe not. Right, right. You know, so we are creating relationships, acknowledging each other as people, representing our artists as though they are people, representing ourselves as though, we, uh, as though we are people, respecting our media friends as though they are people, you know. And hopefully, if we have everybody doing that, It'll just be so much better, you know? Mm, there you go. I think the people quotient gets taken out of the conversation and it becomes a product. True. And that's why so many people, so many artists don't want to be with labels anymore mm-hmm. because they don't want to be seen as a product. Right. You know? Right. So they hire independent publicists and put their own teams together in hopes of building a team that will really, you know, ride a dive with them. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I am very appreciative of all of the insight thank that you, you shared. Thank you for having me. I got to share all my stories. I love it. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. It's phenomenal. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate thank that. Thank you.